0: Today, I want to take this time and it's going to be a little bit of a teaching, preaching kind of a time. If you're taking, if you do have or you have the ability through a phone or through paper to take notes, I would really encourage you to do that. We're going to go a few places, but I really believe that this is going to be a very defining message for fire in our bones. I'm going to talk to you today about the life of Jeremiah and what we can glean from his life, uh, how it uh, impacted the world that he lived in, and there are great truths that we can apply to the days that we live in. Uh, Can somebody just agree with me that we are now coming into what I believe is a very hostile culture? Probably for 50 years in America, maybe 70 years, the evangelical church has flourished And for the most part, we've had pretty easy times, building buildings and reaching people and preaching the gospel Uh, for about 10 years. And now we are definitely coming into a time where our culture is hostile. Can somebody say amen? amen? So I had the privilege to pastor in Florida and Ron DeSantis was there to help us out a little bit. I don't know that everybody uh, has had that great privilege and some of you uh, come from places and you're at places where the culture has become very uh, hostile to the, to the gospel and to people that will preach the gospel. And so I want to take from this message today uh, from uh, Jeremiah. The first thing that I want to share with you is it says, you can uh, take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter one. Early in the verses, it says that it was in the 12th year, uh, I'm sorry, the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, uh, that Jeremiah was called into ministry. And this is significant. Uh, because if you know, uh, Josiah was made king when he was eight years old. It said eight years into his ministry, he began to read and seek God. And then about 12 years uh, into his kingship, uh, he began to uh, turn things around. He began to, to go through and, and purge or cleanse the land of idolatry, which is very significant because on the 12th year is when he began to do that. It was the 13th year that Jeremiah was called into ministry. And so the first 18 years or so of his ministry was a time that was really for the nation of Israel, was a great time of, of, of revival. It was a great time of people seeking God. And so the first, the first aspect of the first time of his ministry was, was really revival across the nation of Israel. God was doing great things. They were tearing down idol worship and people were seeking God. Uh, but about 18 years into his ministry, Josiah will die And then the three kings, the three main kings that uh, Jeremiah would minister under would be Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah, all three incredibly wicked. And during this time, Babylon would come uh, to bring judgment uh, from God against the people because now everything went into idolatry. Uh, If you read uh, some of the history and through the scriptures, it talks about the God of Moloch, uh, which some of the kings would uh, actually offer as sacrifices their children. And so Jeremiah would go through this time of great privilege. I'm I'm talking about, you know, great moments of growth and, uh, you know, people seeking God. But these elements were still in the culture. And as soon as Josiah is removed, everything begins to come to a very wicked place. And the next 23 years of of Jeremiah's ministry would be placed in in an area that would put him into great hardship. And here I have a, whether you call it a a word, I believe that this is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, But I don't think that you have to be really bright to figure this out. Uh, folks, we are coming into a time that the church will not do what we do easily. We are coming into a time of that 23 years uh, that Jeremiah had of great conflict, of great persecution. Now, if you're hearing, you go, so are you saying, pastor, that the church is going to retract? Can I tell you in Jesus' name, absolutely not. The number one growing church in the world, Mark Renfro will tell you this, our missions director is Iran, is the fastest growing church in the world under great hostility. And so I want you to see this today. It doesn't mean because we come into moments that are more difficult that the church will retract. I actually believe that there will be a time of separation. There'll be a time of, of, of separating the wheat from the chaff, Uh, Listen, if you're just a cultural Christian, you will not make it in the next decades to come, but people who know the Lord, their God, will flourish. Hallelujah. And so we have this incredible promise. Yes, it will get worse, but here's the great news. God is sovereign, and he knows how to walk us through these moments. And so Jeremiah chapter 1, I want us to read uh, beginning in verse uh, 5. And we're going to go on a trail here. The first thing uh, that I want to share with you today is that we are called to hostility. Uh, Jeremiah was called called to hostility, and so shall we. Uh, Verse 5, it says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Now I want you to look at the word formed because I think it's really significant. You understand that God, even before uh, you were born, God was doing a work of, of formation in your life to prepare you for what God had call, has called you to do. Can somebody say amen? And so this forming is qualities that would prepare him as a leader, as a pastor, as a spokesman to his generation that would prepare him to stand. And here's what I wanna say to you. Every one of you have a different gift and calling. You are unique in what God has called you to do. However, there will be characteristics that you will have to have in the coming years to stand in, in times of hostility. And if you do not have these qualities, you won't make it. Now, here's what I wanna tell you. I believe if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you're called to ministry in the, in the decades to come, these are qualities you possess. Now, you may look at me and go, well, pastor, how you really? You know, we're all different. How do you know? Here's how I know. Because if you were born in this day, and this time, and you're engaged for ministry, God knows that you need these qualities or these traits to be able to stand as a leader or as a spokesman for God to stand in the years to come. Because listen, if you don't, you will fall away. It will take people who know the Lord their God and stand in the midst of hostility and begin to speak the word of God. And so he says, I formed, here's, here's, here, here are things that is formed within us as pastors and leaders, as spokesmen. And, and then he, of course, comes back and says, ah, oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. You know, uh, you see so many times in the scripture that this is the conflict that we have. God, God says to us one thing, and then we look at ourselves and we go, I really can't do this. It is the new covenant message, and it's what you see uh, through so many places in the scripture where God calls a person and says, this is what you'll do, and they go, no, I'm sorry, but you have the wrong guy. Can somebody identify with that for a moment? I don't think that I'm the person that really can do this and put some context into the life and the ministry. He knew the wickedness that was in the nation. He knew the difficulties uh, that would would take place. And I want to say this to you. There's some of you that are here here today and you go, is there anybody here that just doesn't like conflict? (laughs) It's funny that you raised your hand. Uh, There's people here that just don't like conflict. I have a word for the Lord uh, for you, and now Gary raised his hand, so I'm going to include Gary with this with a lot of other people. There's some people that avoid conflict, probably Jeremiah to some degree. God will take people who try to avoid conflict because they just don't like it, and he will use you to, be, to bring confrontation to the generation that you live in. And so listen, and I, I want to tell you, it is an honor to work with Gary Does anybody love Gary Wilkerson? What a great man. Hallelujah. Maybe a little bit more for Kelly than the rest of us, but uh, hopefully... But and I, I, listen, he just raised his hand so I picked on him. But it, it's not, this is not just Gary. There's a lot of us that try to avoid conflict. I wanna tell you, you will not be able to stand in this generation and avoid conflict conflict is here it is knocking on our door you either embrace it you either walk through those doors or you the 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 life will be sucked out of you and any ministry that you try to lead listen it is going to take people with a backbone to stand and to confront a generation that is hostile against Christ and the gospel praise God got a little quiet there but so he comes back and he says, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm not really equipped, I can't do this. Um, uh, but then the Lord says back to him, do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go everywhere that I send you. And wherever I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now, here's what this is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Hey, Jeremiah, I'm gonna protect you from trouble. No. Jeremiah will get punched in the face. He'll have stocks that are locked. He'll be put into a prison. He'll be dropped into a well. So God didn't say, I'm going to keep you from trouble. What he said is, I will deliver you when you walk through the fire. And when you walk through the flood, he gives us a promise. I will deliver you, uh, says the Lord. And then he says this. He says, uh, and then uh, the Lord will put forth his hand. He touched my mouth and the Lord said this to me, behold... I have put my words in your mouth. Listen, it's not because we're anything great, but when the word of God and the living Christ gets inside of you, you have authority. And I want to tell you this, the authority of Jesus is never separated from the person of Jesus. So when people say, hey, I speak and miracles come out of my mouth, I want to tell you today in Jesus' name that it's not because of your mouth that miracles come out. It's because the word of God is in you and because you speak his word and the person and the authority of Christ is never separated from who he is. And so he says, listen, I will put my words in your mouth see this day, I have set you over nations, over the kingdoms. And then it says four things to root down, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, and then two things to build and to plant. You know, I had the uh, opportunity uh, in our missions team, we have people that work in the persecuted church and unreached areas, and I had an opportunity to share a devotion with them. Can I just ask you this? What do you say to somebody who has planted 86 churches, and he has been beaten, put in prison, uh, his, his livelihood has been taken away? The man literally says this. He goes, I, he goes, there's nothing else they can do but kill me, and he has planted 86 churches in one of the most difficult places in the world. Can somebody just say amen? Uh if, if, if you think that there's great pastors or leaders here, I appreciate all the guys here. But that, to me, is a man that stands in a wicked generation, is doing amazing things. And so, one of the things that I said to our leaders that work uh, with different people in the most difficult parts of the world, is I said this, it seems like you're insignificant at times. There's moments that you feel like you're not making a difference. You know, does my life or ministry matter? But this is what God says. Jeremiah, there was actually Jeremiah Baruch, uh, which was his, uh, his writer. And then there was one other prophet. Everybody else was wicked. And so to look at things, you would think, oh, well, you know, King Zedekiah, he's in charge. Or Peshor, uh, the governor, he's in charge. But this is what God says. I have put you over nations and over kingdoms. And here's what I think was important. I said to these brothers and sisters, maybe you're in a place and there are Muslims, uh, communists, Hindus, whatever may be there, but God has put you over the nation. And so listen, in in the economy of the kingdom of heaven, I wanna just say this to some of you brothers and sisters that are here and maybe you've come from a small town. I wanna tell you, God has placed you spiritually over that region, here in southern california ron brown god has placed you it's not the governor it's not the mayor of the city god has placed you over this city the realm and the place of uh, that you do ministry god has placed you over your community over that re- pastor tim in new york city god has put you over the city, sometimes in the church, we act so well, you know, this is what the, uh, the law say, this is what the government says, this is what the culture says. Listen, in heaven, God has put you over the regions and the areas that you do ministry. Start acting like it, amen. I put in my notes, you know, when I was, uh, when I was, first became a pastor, I would go to pastors. How do you go to pastors' meetings? My first pastor's meeting that I went to in the denomination I was a part of, uh, one pastor says to another, he says, so how's your church doing? And the pastor goes, man, we're only three funerals away from revival. <laughs> I, was little, I was a little like, all righty. I don't think the people in the church would like to hear that. So, uh, but most of the time, When you get together with pastors, pastors talk about how big your church is, how big your building is, how much money you have. I wanna tell you this, I'm just gonna say for my sake, none of that really impresses me because you can have a lot of money, you can have a big building and you can have a lot of people and you can compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm telling you, I want to impress heaven. And when heaven looks at your ministry and when heaven looks at your church, Are you making a difference? Are you speaking the truth? Are you making disciples? And I wanna throw this in while I'm here. Are you raising up and speaking to a young generation? I thank God for Summit. I thank God, if you're a youth worker or a youth leader here, uh, and we got Evan that's working with Next Gen. I wanna tell you the world that we live in, they are targeting the, this young generation and they are try, trying to, uh, to, to, to sweep Christianity completely away from this generation and folks, the church has got to invest and plant and begin, be, begin to speak to another generation. Amen? Uh, Ron Brown, when, hey, listen, when t- teenagers, as few as they may be, uh, come into your facility and they may be hooked on fentanyl or whatever it may be, but God has put them for the purpose of discipling them and raising them up to speak to a generation, church, it's time for the church to engage. When we talk about fire in our bones, we we sat down and when we came up with this uh, with this voice of you know fire in our bones, and we we named the conference. uh, We didn't want to just name a conference, so we looked at Jeremiah, fire in the bones. David Wilkerson, fire in his bones. Gary Wilkerson, I want to tell you I absolutely love working with this man because he has a fire in his bones. Pastor Carter and Tim Delina, but listen, brothers and sisters, we need six hundred of us to engage in the battle. There's a battle that is raging around us and we either engage with the battle or we walk away. God has called you to be leaders in the days that we live in and he's calling you to rise up and to engage and hear the call of God in the days that we live. Hallelujah. Here's the second thing that we're called to. We're called to anguish. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Pastor Carter got to preach the joy of the Lord. I get to come and preach about anguish. <laughs> oh, that my head were waters, and that my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain daughter. Of my people, and I want you to notice something here. Then he goes, I wish that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travel. I want to go on vacation that I might get away from these people and get away from them. You ever stop in a place and you go, Man, I'm just tired of lost people. Sometimes, hey, if you're a pastor, you may get tired of save people every once in a while. (laughs) But you ever get you ever get tired of the culture that you live in, and it can be so overwhelming. And Jeremiah is like, I'm tired of this. They're adulterers. They're an assembly of treacherous men, and 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 listen. And like their bow, they have bent their tongues to lies. They are valiant for uh, they are not valiant for the truth on the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. And Jeremiah is going. I just wish that I could get away, but here's the paradox of Jeremiah. He both sees the wickedness of the days that he's living in and at the same time, the heart of God captures him and he begins to pray, oh God, that my head were waters and that my eyes were a fountain of tears that I could weep day and night for the lost children of of my people. And I wanna ask you today, Man, it, hey, when you get done with the 12 messages here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a one minute video clip from David Wilkerson. And when you get home after you've soaked all of this in and you wanna listen to a message, you gotta be ready for conviction, because it's coming. Uh, but he preached the message, he, he preached the message on anguish. And I want you to hear this. Can we, can we play that?
1: And I look at the whole religious scene today and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you.
0: Anguish. And somebody's got to feel that today. He goes on to say, I want to just read this to you. He goes on to say over parts of the message, anguish is extreme pain and distress over the conditions around you, the agony of God's heart. All true passion for Christ is born out of anguish. Search the scriptures and find a place that God wants to recover and, you, and he will always find a praying man or woman and he will baptize them in his own anguish. I wanna ask you a question today. Will you be that man? Will you be that woman that says, God, help me to feel what you feel for the slain people around me? And, and listen, this is not legalism. This is not harsh. Listen, you can have the joy of the Lord and you covenant and you can feel the anguish of the people that are around you. And I will tell you, when people go, oh, I just don't have much passion, listen... You get a hold of God's heart and passion will flow through your innermost being, uh, I assure you. He goes on to say this. This is, um, uh, you, you know, he talks about the wickedness. But if you get around pastors and Christians, they'll talk to you about the gangs and the drugs and how bad they are. I talked to people this week. How bad New York City is. How bad it is in California. How bad it is here and there. The violence. Uh, burning the inner cities down. I've heard people talk about disrespect to the law, the uh, LGBTQ community, transgender and woke movement and how wicked uh, all of these things are in our generation. And I gotta throw this in, prejudice is wicked. If you're here today and you go, well, that's just one of those side sins. Listen, God says that when we go to heaven, it will be every tongue, every tribe, every nation. To hate someone, whether it is white, black, Hispanic, or Asian on the basis of their skin, is just as wicked as the woke movement or any other group or wickedness that's here. And America, unfortunately, has become a very prejudiced nation. Lying, materialism, Rihanna, Madonna, Beyonce, the movies, the media. And listen, we can all sit and and talk about uh, the wickedness of the world that we live in. But where is the place that we begin to see the wickedness and feel the heart of God to pray for the world that we live in and say, God, we need a move of your holy spirit in the days that we live and whatever it takes and whatever we have to do, God help me to engage this world with the love and the power of God and so you have uh, you, you have this uh, man Jeremiah who who is beaten, put into into prison, isolated, all of the things that he would go through. And yet, rather than hating these people, rather than looking at these people as, uh, you know, God, you just go and destroy them. What happens is he begins to have this great love for the world that he lived in. And I want to say this to you, man, church, if you're here in person or if you watch this online, I want to say this to you in Jesus' name. If all you do is talk about how bad society is, how bad people are, how bad this generation is, I want to tell you, you have missed the greatest part of what God wants to do. It's not just how bad things are, but God wants to reach these people with his love and his power. And Jeremiah spoke to his generation and he spoke stood in the midst of difficult moments to show God's love, even when nobody came to the altar to receive Jesus or to come back to God, he still continued with the love of God. Man, I I have so loved the intercessors that are here at our conference. Can somebody just shout amen? Amen. I said to the intercessors a few days ago, there'll be uh, incredible preachers that are here to preach. The worship will be amazing The greatest ministry in this conference is prayer. The greatest ministry in the church is prayer. It's not just people who stand on stages, but it's people who go into businesses, who go to schools, who go to neighborhoods and show the love of God. Church, it is time that the body of Christ rises up. If you're a pastor or leader, yes, God wants you to engage, but he wants the people that you minister to. You cannot just hide in the silence and and, and have have your little cocoon and the little you know times that your church meets together and everybody's family and they love each other at some point you have to step outside of the doors of that church to make a difference in the world that you live in right. anguish The third thing that I want to share with you is this God has called us in this hostile generation he has called us to solitude. Now, I want to uh, preface by saying this. I believe in community. Uh, the church that uh, Pastor Tim talked about, we had 70 small groups. I believe in, I believe in that. I believe that pastors should be connected. We're actually starting at World Challenge, a connecting place for pastors and leaders to connect. I believe so strongly in community. But I will also follow that by saying, God will always bring the times around in your life and ministry where you are at a place of loneliness or solitude. Can everybody that's done ministry longer than a day say amen to that? Because there are just moments that you come to these areas and you go, listen, you can be in a room of a thousand people and you can feel so alone. Now, there is a difference between loneliness and solitude. I want you to really help to see this. And, and, and when the days get more evil and as the, the, the culture becomes more hostile, I will tell you this. There will be moments that the solitude or the loneliness can become greater. Now, understanding uh, loneliness and solitude is really important. What loneliness will do will put you into a place of despair it will put you in a place where you're ready to give up, you're ready to walk away because you feel lonely and unattached. But what solitude will do is it will put a fire in your bones. There's a difference in loneliness and solitude. Can we put up, uh, I have a quote from Oswald Chambers if we could. Uh, here's what what is, solitude with God repairs the damage done by the fret and the noise and the clamor of this world. I want to read this one more time. If you're here and you're a pastor or a leader, I want to just tell you real quickly, we need solitude because it repairs the damage that gets done by doing ministry, the fret and the noise and the clamor of this world. The only thing that will bring repair to that is solitude with our heavenly father. Now to illustrate this, I want you to, I want you to go uh, to Luke uh, chapter 2. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now this is a familiar passage here. I want you to uh, see this. Jesus is going to the wilderness. And I want you to look at the wording here, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led. Other translations, I think more accurately say, was driven. Or uh, the Holy Spirit drove him uh, into uh, by, by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterwards, uh, when it had ended, he was hungry. And then, of course, the devil would come uh, to bring temptation. And so I want you to see this. If, if the Holy Spirit led Jesus, it doesn't say the devil led Jesus. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to a place of isolation, And if the Holy Spirit led Jesus to a place of isolation, can I just share something with you that you may not like, but it's just true? That God, no servant is above his master. God will take you to places where you feel isolated. Now, here's the difference, and it's so important to understand this, because loneliness will will bring you to a place that you're ready to give up. Loneliness, when you feel like God is not there, nobody is there, it will bring you to a place that you feel like giving up. But Jesus went to the wilderness and he had solitude with God. Solitude will be necessary to stand in the generation that we live in. Uh, and so here's when the devil comes in, And I want to just say this. This is always the tactic of the devil. It says that, and even when he leaves, it says that he looked for a more opportune time. What's the opportune time? When people are isolated is the time that the temptation becomes the greatest. Now, here's the truth, is that Jesus spent time with his heavenly father. And so what came back was fire words as Gary so uh, adequately said. Firewords came back in the time of temptation because Jesus was with his heavenly father. And even though he was in desert places, even though he was alone, even though there was nobody there and it was dry and empty, has anybody ever felt that way? Let me just ask you a question. I think by the spirit of God, some of you have come to this conference and you have been facing loneliness. The place where you feel uh, vulnerable, where you feel like does anybody care, uh, feeling like giving up, if you can take the loneliness and turn it into solitude, I believe that God can do something really amazing in your life and ministry. Um, I'll share this. You know, uh, 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 Tim mentioned this. I was a youth pastor for uh, years. Um, just saying it's I had a youth group of about 400 kids, 200 young adults. God had given me a thriving ministry. I only say that to say, man, I, would, I, spent, I had so many people around that wanted to connect. I mean, basketball, game nights, pizza parties, outreaches, ministry. I mean, we did all kinds of stuff. But I had, I had people around me all the time when the denomination that I was in, uh, we, I go right from this place of having this great church and these great people and everybody's around me uh, to a place that I have to itinerate. Anybody ever done itineration? Mark I, and Amy, I know, have. I drove 70,000 miles in one year in one vehicle. That doesn't even count rental cars and flights or anything else. In one car, I put 70,000 miles. And so I go from a place of having community and everybody's around to a place of, of isolation isolation. And I'm going every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm driving to a new church to talk and uh, to help raise money for my missions uh, work that I did. And so what happened during those moments is that I came to a place of isolation. I didn't have all of the people around. My wife and children would come sometimes, but they were in school. So Krista stayed behind a lot of times. Uh, By the way, can I just introduce real quick my wife? Can you stand up real quick? Stand up there. Not the best you're going to get. She has a nuclear med- medicine degree, which means she's really smart. And she still married me. So, uh, and I have carted that woman around the world. And uh, she is the most amazing mother and pastor's wife. And so, uh, but I found myself in places of isolation. So I would go into play, you know, I'd have to go put gas in the car. And I'd walk into the, to, to the grocery store or to the quick mart or whatever. And it seemed like I always was led uh, right by where the alcohol section was at. And for those of you that don't know, I gave my life to Christ in jail, uh, doing drugs and alcohol. Uh, my life was pretty messed up. And uh, so Jesus set me free. Hallelujah. Yeah. And uh, I know we have some Teen Challenge folks. I told Brother Ron, I didn't even know that Teen Challenge existed, so I white knuckled it. Uh, and God brought me through. But, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it's just what you do. Uh, but I want to tell you, God has just been amazing. But you know, in those moments, uh, you walk by, I don't know if anybody's had this experience, has done drugs and, and out, and you look and you go, hey, nobody will know. I'm the, uh, you know, I got two or three days before the next service. I can go get a case of beer or whiskey or whatever and nobody will ever know. I got some cash in my pocket and nobody will ever find out. And listen, what the enemy does in moments of loneliness is when temptation becomes the greatest. But God. And here's the good news in those moments, because I had solitude with the Lord, I would say, No, uh, enemy, this is one more chance for me to tell you and the world that you are under my feet and Jesus delivered me and I'm not going back. Hallelujah. I know what's at the bottom of that uh, bottle. And so, you, you move from this place of seeing Jesus walk through this time of uh, isolation and it, it didn't bring him to a place of loneliness, but to solitude with the Lord. Go with, you can't separate these two. Go to verse 18. You cannot separate because you go right, he goes right from this place. No miracle had ever happened in his life up until this point. He goes through temptation. He's baptized. And then it brings us to verse 18. And he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Does this sound a little bit like Jeremiah? Jeremiah. In the moments of isolation, he found a solitude with the Lord and God calls him, he equips him, he begins to do a great work in him and he says, now I'm going to use you to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all of those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is what I wanna tell you. When you have a place of solitude with Jesus, it doesn't leave you with loneliness and despair, but it begins to ignite a fire in your heart. Now, with that said, go back to Jeremiah. I want you to go to Jeremiah, the verse that we've heard uh, several times already. Um, you're going to hear it again, and you probably will before the conference is over, hear it again. But go to chapter 20. So Pashur, uh had taken Jeremiah, hits him in the face, puts him in the stockades, then the word of the Lord comes just real quickly in verse uh, six, and you, Peshur, because it seemed like Peshur was in charge, but who was over the nation? Jeremiah, because God put him over the nation and he speaks this, and all who dwell, and he says, and you, Pashur, and all that dwell in your house shall go into captivity from Babylon. You shall, you shall go to Babylon and there you shall die and be buried there uh, with, with you and all of your friends to whom you have prophesied the lies." Now I wanna say, this was not a personal anger back at him, but what Peshore had done was that he was fighting against the word of God. And when you fight against the word of God, the word declares, you're a loser. That we, you win when you stand on the side of God. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And so he speaks this word to Peshore, but after, right after he does, he's like, okay, I'm already in jail, I've already been hit in the face. Uh, I've already been struck, now uh, I just made things worse. Do you think he's in a good position? So then I want you to look at the loneliness. I want you to see this aspect in isolation. He says, oh Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You're stronger uh, than I and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you have prevailed. I am a derision daily. Everyone mocks me. Even when I spoke, I cried out, I sh- shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord uh, was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. So listen, he's ready to give up. He's in this place. Of, uh, of loneliness, he's in this place of separation and he's ready to give up. Listen, the enemy wanted to destroy Jeremiah, both Peshur and those that were in charge. If we could just discourage him, he'll stop speaking. And not just the people in charge here, but listen, you have an enemy of your soul and he wants to bring you to a place of loneliness and Jeremiah is ready to give up. And then there's a but one of the great ones in the Bible. And he says, now there's a moment that changes from a place of loneliness and moves him to a place of solitude with God. And then he says, I love this, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it in. I couldn't do it any longer. Uh, and then he says, uh, with all of the mockings aside, go down to verse 11. Verse 11, you gotta put this in context. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Go down to verse 13. Sing to the Lord and praise the Lord. Church, here's what I'm I'm saying to you. The enemy will try to put you into a place of loneliness and despair so that you will give up. But what he did not know is that at the bottom of the well and in the prison, in the place of isolation, Jeremiah found a place with God and the God of heaven began to stir in his heart in a fresh way. So what the enemy means for evil, I wanna tell you today, God means for good. Hallelujah. I, uh, Mark Renfro is our missions director. Uh, he, I, I want him to come now if he would. Uh, I could have told this story myself, but he tells it so much better. Uh, we have a common friend in the Middle East. And I want to just have him share this story of a man who went from, he was in isolation, went from a place of loneliness and then found the power of God and what God did in his life. And if you're here and you go, well, I'm not in that context. I live in America. I want to tell you, it's coming. It's coming. The persecution and the hostility, as a matter of fact, is already here. But it is only going to get worse. So I want this to be a testimony to you that when you feel like giving up, is just the place that God wants to do something supernatural for the
2: When Amy and I moved to the Middle East, we had no idea what amazing things the Lord would expose us to. The most enjoyable and the most impacting of those was to be able to walk side by side with men and women who would pay a dear price for their faith, people who would suffer because of calling out and serving Jesus. So in this kind of context, I got an opportunity to meet one of my dearest, closest friends who pastors a church in Iraq talking about called to hostility, you know, it was a context where as your church grew, as your platform increased, it didn't get you more followers. It gave you more likelihood of getting arrested. And so that's the context that he found himself in. He was in a hostile place. He came to know the Lord through uh, another friend who led him to the Lord in a different country, he goes back to Iraq. While he's there, not a single church in the city he lives in, in Baghdad, not a single Bible-preaching church, six million people. In that context, he felt very isolated. Honestly, at times, he felt alone. But rather than being angry at the situation God had placed him in, he cried out in anguish that God would do a work in his city. Sitting in his living room one day, he was praying, he was crying out to God, and he felt like God spoke to him from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3. Little passage that said, I have given you the treasures of darkness. My friend was sitting there and he said, at that time, he said, I'd never been exposed to Christianity in America, but I had heard a little bit about this guy in Australia named Brian Houston in Hillsong. At that time, the church was really large, and he said, I read The Treasures of Darkness. God's gonna give me The Treasures of Darkness. He said, I started thinking of myself as the Brian Houston of Baghdad. <laughs> you know, he said, that God has gonna fill this place up. He's gonna, he's gonna give me a church, and there's gonna be people over here from the Shiite community. And people here are from the Sunni community. And there's going to be people over here from the Yazidi community, a a group that worships Satan in northern Iraq. And he said, I just saw all of these treasures of darkness. I thought, God's going to do a great thing. He did. A few weeks later, my friend got arrested. And he got put in prison. And they beat him. And he found himself in a room that was six feet by six feet. He shared it with six other men, no furniture, he sat on the floor. The only time they ever saw light was when they opened the door to take somebody out to to torture them or they came in to bring food. He said, sitting in the middle of that floor, he said, my heart was broken, but I realized that even in a place of darkness, I didn't have to be alone. That whenever God is with us in our aloneness, that's a place of solitude where we're able to actually hear the voice of God. He said, I thought God was going to call me to all of these places and he was going to call all of these people to me. And he said, instead, sitting on a floor in the middle of a Baghdad prison, God spoke to my heart and said, these six men in the room with you, three from a Sunni background, three from a Shiite background. He goes, these are my treasures of darkness.
0: this powerful. Church, God has called us to hostility. God has uh, called us to solitude. God has called us to anguish. My last point, and uh, I'll just make it really quickly uh, because Pastor Carter stole my thunder. Uh, it was God has called us to a new covenant. So everybody say this with me. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Look it up later. God said, And I will give you a new covenant. I'm going to read one last passage and then we're going to close. Jeremiah 23. And I'll I'll, I'll finish with this. So Jeremiah, in this place of hostility and brokenness, 700 years before Christ, had a greater revelation of the gospel and the person of Christ than, in my opinion, most of the church world has today. 2,000 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead, Jeremiah had a greater revelation of Christ. Uh, and who he is and the gospel that he came to preach and the new covenant this is what it says in uh, chapter 23 and verse 5 behold the days are coming says the lord that i will raise david a branch of righteousness can somebody say amen a king will pro- uh, a, a king shall uh, reign and prosper And execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In uh, his uh, days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Can anybody tell me who that is? It's Jesus. I want you to stand on your feet if you will. We're going to close and we have a luncheon to go to. But I want to say this to you today. Church, it's time to engage. This isn't works. This isn't legalism. I just, so you know, there's not an ounce of that in my body and my thinking. Thank God he delivered me from legalism. Can somebody say amen? And I thank God for the covenant that we have in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we won't suffer. It doesn't mean that there's not hostile moments. It doesn't mean that there won't be moments of loneliness, that we have to turn to solitude. But listen, these are the qualities. I don't care if you're a preacher, a leader, or a person that's a, just a leader, a Sunday school teacher, whatever the place it is that God has called you. I know these qualities exist in you because we are coming to a generation uh, that will be hostile, and you will need these things to be able to confront the great enemies that you will face in the decades to come. Can somebody say amen? I want to, I'm going to pray over you. Can you just, maybe if, if there's somebody around you, you can put your hand on, your, on their shoulder or, or don't. Uh, maybe just pray for them. But can we pray? God, we want a fire in our bones. God, I thank you, Lord, that you did this in Jeremiah. Lord, Jesus was the greatest example of a fire shut up in bones. God, I thank you, Lord, and David Wilkerson, and Gary Wilkerson, and Carter Conlon, and Tim And God, I thank you, Lord, for Ron Brown. Lord, these are men who live with the fire of heaven. But God, we need the church to rise up in these moments that, Lord, all the materialism and the selfishness and the things that we get caught up in... God, I pray that we would have a vision for the culture that you've placed us in. And God, give us a heart, Lord, to speak to this generation that, God, we will not shy away. We won't turn away. But, God, we will embrace it. God, is a gift to be able to encounter a generation with the love and the beauty and the glory of God, that, Lord, if, if we just contain it in this room and we walk away, just back to the old business, God, it, it will not really produce the fruit that you want in this conference. God, raise up men and women that will engage a generation with the truth and the love and the power of God. And God, as hard as it may be to say, Lord, God, bring us to places of isolation that will create a solitude with our Heavenly Father. And God, we will not shy away from hostility. And, Lord, I pray, God, for men and women that would have a spirit of anguish. God, to feel what you feel. Lord, for the people that you want to recover in the world that we live in. Lord, we love you today. And, God, we thank you, Lord. God, for the privilege to be able to serve in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, can we give glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God.